has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in town and Grant's microbiome. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, 27-year veteran of the NYPD, retired out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. Today, there is some breaking news, if you haven't already heard it on one of the news stations. A secret grand jury has indicted Brian Koberger for four counts of, of murder first degree, in addition, burglary. But this means this is a big deal because this means the preliminary hearing scheduled for June 26th, there's now no need for that. He's already been indicted. So the hearing where the judge would hear of, of evidence whether and determine this probable cause hearing, the grand jury has returned the true bill and indicted him for four counts of murder as well as burglary first degree. So he's being charged with the stabbing deaths of Ethan Chapin, Zaina Canodal, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonsalves. This is a really big deal. I think strategically it was probably good strategy by the prosecution. Uh, all these hearings, which just made them uh, sort of show their hand to the defense and releasing all of the evidence that they had in regards to this. And now they won't have to release all this evidence. This evidence was, and not all of it, enough of the evidence was presented. And we say a secretive grand jury. A grand jury uh, sits in secret and they don't, well, if the prosecutor determines to release the fact that there was a true bill, which means an indictment, uh, that that is up to the prosecutor and, and it has to be, doesn't have to be done immediately, but obviously they released the fact this grand jury could have been sitting for a while. I, I believe certain news stations with their uh, uh, sources close to the investigation uh, broke this, that there was a secret. How secret is it if they're breaking it with some mole on the inside? Anyway, there was an indictment, and this is a big deal. This is really a big deal because it changes the scope of this, and it's really strategic in a lot of ways because the defense was making a lot of strategic moves, and now here's a strategic move made specifically by the prosecution. This was ABC News uh, reporting on this. Grand jury has indicted the suspect in the murder of four University of Idaho students. The Lata County District Court clerk tells ABC News the grand jury returned a multi-count indictment against Brian Koberger, including four counts of first-degree murder. He's accused of stabbing four University of Idaho students to death in an off-campus home. ABC's Kenny Whitworth has been tracking this story for us. She joins me now along with ABC News legal contributor Brian Buckmeyer for more. Kenny, how significant is this indictment? 
Well, look, Diane, it's huge. This is really the first step in the legal process. And this grand jury indictment now foregoes the preliminary hearing that we all had marked on our calendars for the end of June. So we heard this morning from the Lataw County District County Clerk, again, confirming that a grand jury in Moscow, Idaho, has returned a multi-count indictment against Brian Koberger. And that includes murder in the first degree of which he was facing four counts. You also have to remember he was facing that felony burglary count as well for entering a home, breaking into a home with the intent to commit murder. So what happens with this grand jury is that the jurors don't actually determine guilt here, right? They just are determining the probable cause to see if this will go to trial. So when he enters his plea, if that plea is not guilty, then a trial date will be set. And it's also important to keep in mind here that with this grand jury, it doesn't have to be a unanimous decision. And you have to think about the prosecution making this decision here. When this happens, it means that the prosecutor, all the their entire team is in there with just the judge and the grand jury and their witnesses. And we know how delicate the witnesses could be in this case when we're talking about these two surviving roommates, one of them who had been recently subpoenaed by the defense, but also the surviving roommate who we read about in this probable cause affidavit who claims she saw a man dressed clad in black, remember, with a mask covering nose and mouth, and she made out those bushy eyebrows, which is what eventually authorities say led them to Brian Koberger. So again, Diane, this is huge, but it is the first step in this court case. You know, folks, some of the things that we've spoken about as we've covered this case pretty from the beginning actually is the evidence and 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 some of the evidence that we don't know about and what if dylan mortensen can absolutely sit on the stand and say the man that i saw that night dressed all in black wearing that sort of what was described as a covid mask i'm sure it was brian koberger and that would be such powerful powerful testimony however i'm sure the defense of course would try to impeach her and oh you, what was the lighting like where were you standing how close was he to you how could you identify someone with a mess but if she is able to with great authority say that that the man that walked past me that night is brian koberger that is very very powerful evidence and i'll, I'll speak about some more of the evidence as i play a little bit more of um, little news bit from ABC News. Brian, why go through a grand jury in a case like this? Yeah, so Diane, the prosecution has to prove to the court or more specifically the judge that there's probable cause. And so you can either do it through a grand jury or in a preliminary hearing. And that's the initial step of moving a case towards an ultimate goal, either a plea or more likely in this case, a trial. Here, the grand jury is not deciding guilt or innocence, as we heard earlier, and they're not deciding guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, as we know typically happens in a trial. Instead, they're deciding whether it's a 51% chance or more likely than not, or the legal term being preponderance of the evidence, that Brian Koberger, in fact, committed these crimes, and that's what they seem to have decided. The prosecution decided to go with the grand jury rather than preliminary hearing, probably because that limits the amount of exposure information going to the defense, but also the public, and this allows the prosecution to marshal the evidence without the defense cross-examining any witnesses. Uh, Kena, what happens with this case from here? So what we're hearing right now is that he will be arraigned officially on Monday morning. Folks, there's some breaking news. He will be arraigned Monday morning at 9 a.m. 
in Leitah County. So this is the first, well, not the first, but it's encouraging that the case is going to move forward and he either pleads guilty or not guilty. If he pleads not guilty, a date is set for the trial and all um, the legalness will, will proceed. And, you know, as we said numerous times, um, there's a good chance that they will put this case off until September uh, because it, it seems that almost no courts go to trial in the summertime. I could be wrong, but uh, from my experience, I think they will put this case off until September. But you heard it, that he is going to be arraigned Monday morning. That's 522, 522, 23 at 0900 hours or 9 a.m. for you non-military folks. In Latah County at 9 a.m. in this courthouse, he'll have to make an in-person appearance. At this point, he will enter a plea. In all likelihood, people expect that plea to be not guilty. You have to remember that back when he was arrested in Pennsylvania, he immediately waived his right to extradition. He said he quickly wanted to return to Idaho so that he could quickly be exonerated. So that is the first step. And then there will be a trial set after that, Diane. All right, Kana Whitworth, Brian Buckmeyer, thank you both. So that's the most breaking news we've had on this case since all the rumor, the innuendo. Uh, remember, May 25th, there was supposed to be a hearing um, with the judge in regards to the gag order. Could that, could the gag order have pushed the prosecution and also the requests for all kinds of uh, evidence um, by the defense. Could that have pushed the prosecution to say, you know something, we're going to strategically come across with our own sort of strategy and we're going to impanel a grand jury. And then all this discovery material, they're not going to receive all of it because what we're going to present to the grand jury is going to be secret. The, The defense will still have to receive the discovery material, but in what timely fashion? When will they receive it? That is the big question. Uh, When will they receive the discovery? And that we don't know. And uh, many things uh, we wanted to talk about here in regards to evidence, because I intended to come on today and talk about the 20,000 pieces of evidence that the prosecution turned over to the defense. And how is it possible, again, for the defense to go through that voluminous amount of evidence? Some of the evidence, obviously, they had 9,200 tips calls. From my experience in working in uh, the Detective Bureau and the NYPD for 16 years, my last 10 years in homicide, and working basically every major case that uh, that my team were, was working, when some of the ones we weren't working, we were pulled in uh, in Manhattan North, most tips, uh, you know, bear no fruit, you know? So does that mean, but every single one of them has to be entertained. So that is something that the, the defense can create doubt with. What happened to tip number 5,273? It says no results. What does that mean, no results? 
That's why it's important that a detective goes out on every single tip and writes a report that either backs up the tip, yeah, this is what we found out, or eliminates the tip, no, this information was not good. A detective that writes no results or negative results is a poor detective, all right? And that happens to be a fact. The detective has to do good enough paperwork that when it does go to a trial like this, could you imagine 9,200 tips and probably 98% of them are not, they bear no fruit whatsoever. But if the prosecution doesn't investigate every one of these tips, it, the defense could say, how do you know this tip that's saying, I know who did it and his name is blah, blah, blah. If you didn't check that out, could they not create doubt? Detective, why did you not go investigate this guy? The, the tipster told you he did it and he saw the knife he used. And, all, and, you know, all of those things are so important. And we talk about crossing T's and dotting I's. That's, that's what it's about. That is what all of that stuff is about. And, you know, the, the evidence in this case, we spoke about it, circumstantial evidence. How powerful is circumstantial evidence? And we defined it a million times. Circumstantial evidence from which inferences are drawn. That doesn't mean that the person did it, but if there's, you know, and I always use this exaggeration because it tr tends to prove my point. If there's three tractor trailers full of circumstantial evidence, that's pretty damn powerful evidence, wouldn't you say? And after a while, if it's pointing to the same person, then that evidence can be very, very strong. People are going to make a big deal out about, of course, about, um, and we saw it all along in this case, uh, Brian Koberger's, his personality, whether he had it in him to do the crime charged. Uh, you know, what is it? You know, it's not typical for a PhD student to do a quadruple murder. It's not typical for anyone to do it. But, you know, we, we look back uh, in the history of serial killers and you have someone like Ted Bundy who was, was uh, attending law school. And thus far, there's no evidence that Brian Koberger is a serial killer. In fact... And up to this point, he's not been uh, he has not been convicted, so he's innocent until proven guilty. So we look we look at his mannerisms, we look at the way he acts, we the way he speaks, and of course, the evidence that really brought us here the the, the beginning evidence and uh, this case hit so many peaks and so many valleys. And the big, big piece of evidence was, of course, the white Hyundai Elantra, which in the beginning we were all like, oh, there's thousands of Hyundai Elantras. But we didn't know. They didn't release the fact that that specific Hyundai Elantra was seen on video pulling into the backyard of 1122 King Road, which is the house in question where the murders took place. Not just was it seen pulling in on at least three occasions and backing up, coming back, pulling out. 
that was what initially was the evidence we all heard and the police reported to us as we're, we're interested in speaking to this person as a witness. And I knew that when Chief Fry said that, I knew that was the perp, that that was why they were looking for him. This was not a, uh, a witness they were looking for because it was so important. It was the biggest piece of evidence they had back then. And we all, all of us have watched in, uh, this case from the beginning, and we know the peaks and valleys. We know the finger pointing. We know the craziness. We know even the news, the, the broadcast news reporting garbage on this case, you know. And it's sad because what it really comes down to is evidence and professionalism with police, investigators, prosecutors, and of, of course, also defense attorneys who are representing this defendant, who again is innocent and to proven guilty. This was um, the report that News Nation did on last night. And allegedly, and I don't know if this is true because I just picked this up today, was that News Nation broke this with their secret squirrel inside the investigation. At this hour at Grand Jury, we've learned has indicted Brian Koberger. He's the suspect in the Idaho quadruple stabbings. What this means is the grand jury reviewed some evidence and testimony and found enough evidence to indict. I want to bring in News Nation co national correspondent Brian Enton now. Uh, Brian, this just uh, happening overnight. What more are you hearing about what led up to it and what this means um, for his case? Yeah, this is a big deal, Marnie. This means that behind the scenes, a secret grand jury has been convening for quite some time, going over all of the evidence in the Koberger case presented to them by the prosecution. Uh, and they have deci decided to indict him on the charges uh, with the murders connected to the uh, the four victims in Moscow, Idaho. This was first reported overnight by News Nation's Ashley Banfield. Uh, you know, we were all anticipating this preliminary hearing that was going to be coming up next month, uh, where we were expecting to hear from witnesses and a lot more information. That preliminary hearing will now not be happening, Marnie. You know, folks, I I mentioned earlier and on the ABC News report and the same thing on the indictment of Brian Koberger by a grand jury for four counts of first-degree murder and for burglary first-degree. I mentioned earlier the hearing, of course, for June 26th is now off because there's no need now for a probable cause hearing. In addition, May 25th, that uh, the, the hearing uh, that many news organizations have uh, filed papers against the gag order. That will still go on. That's on May 25th. That has nothing to do with Brian Koberger's arraignment. But the June 26th uh, hearing, the probable cause hearings that was slated to take up to five days, that's off now. So I did mention, if you're a late arrival today, this Monday, May 22nd, uh, 2023, at 0900 hours, that's 9 a.m., uh, Brian Koberger will be arraigned. At that arraignment, he will formally uh, plead innocent or plead guilty. Again, if he pleads guilty, that'll open up the window for the trial to proceed, and it'll be determined by the defense and the prosecution, as well as the judge, how much time they need to prepare. Don't forget, the defense has already had six months to prepare their defense for this case. So now this secret grand jury that was impaneled by the Latah County prosecutor 
They came back with a true bill, which means an indictment. No longer is there a need for a probable cause hearing. So again, this Monday at 9, 9 a.m. in Latar County Court, Brian Koberger will either plead guilty or innocent. And if he pleads innocent, a trial date will be set. Basically, this uh, official indictment by the grand jury uh, replaces the preliminary hearing. So now there is no need for the preliminary hearing. The grand jury, which is a group of members of the community, just like you'd see for a jury with a trial, they met in secret. The prosecution presented them with the evidence they have. They're also required, I believe, to present them with any exculpatory evidence. Sometimes witnesses like detectives will also testify to a grand jury. So it's quite a process presented them with all of that, uh, and they voted to officially indict. You know, folks, most prosecutors, again, they don't want to show their whole hand at a grand jury. So they present as little evidence as possible, but to make sure that they get a true bill, that they get a vote for an indictment. They they don't want to show all their evidence. So they will present enough to give the grand jury probable cause that they will vote for a, what's called a true bill, which is an indictment that will allow uh, the court process to proceed. So there's, again, the uh, the Latar County prosecutor, Bill Thompson, he's not going to give away his whole case at a grand jury. He's going to selectively release certain evidence, again, enough to get an indictment against this defendant. And apparently that's exactly what was done. Uh, Brian Koberger. It doesn't mean that he's guilty. It just means that the charges will stand um, and that the case will move forward and that there won't be a need for a preliminary hearing. We believe that Brian Koberger will appear uh, in court on Monday in Moscow, Idaho, and that is when he will officially have to enter a plea of guilty uh, or not guilty. Marnie? And what, if anything, Brian, are you hearing from the attorneys representing Koberger? Uh, so we we are not hearing from them uh, at this point. I think this is probably just becoming news to them too, because really all of this this broke overnight. I mean, I guess you know I would imagine that the defense attorneys um, were the first to hear. They, um, believe me, they didn't find out about this from News Nation. Uh, I would think after the prosecution got a true bill, got an indictment by the grand jury, that they would have alerted the defense to this, so that they didn't have to find out. Uh, through broadcast media or through the print media. So I think that would be a courtesy between attorneys that they would have been notified. So I, I, I would find it hard to believe that they were notified by the press. Again, uh, everyone involved in the case seemed to be anticipating this preliminary hearing. Everyone was preparing for it. We saw subpoenas and, and we knew that a lot was happening behind the scenes. But there was sort of this thought that the secret grand jury could be meeting and just no one knew about it because they meet in secret. No one knows except for uh, for the prosecution. And, and that is indeed what was happening. Um, so I think all of this is just trickling out to the parties today. Uh, we haven't heard from the Koberger side at this point. And in terms of the evidence that the prosecution shared with the grand jury, any of that evidence yet made public or is that also still secret, some of the, the evidence that they have? Yeah, it is still secret, and it it will remain secret. The transcript will remain secret to us, at least for now. I believe uh, the defense will likely get it at some point. Um, I'm not sure. The defense will absolutely get the grand jury transcripts. Now that the indictment's out, there's there's no more secrets, you know? It's not secret anymore. The grand jury found probable cause. They voted to indict. 
That's called the true bill. The defense will get a copy of the grand jury transcripts, which will include the evidence that was submitted by the Latah Pro County Prosecutor, Bill Thompson. So that's that's no, it's no longer a secret anymore. So uh, all of these folks saying it's still a secret, it's not a secret. There will be transcripts. The defense will get the transcripts as part of the discovery. Miss Incognito, um, she's asked a question. Sorry, is this good or bad for either side? Miss Incognito, you don't have to apologize. I believe this is better for the prosecution than the defense. I think this was probably somewhat of a surprise to the defense. I think they were probably looking forward to their five days of probable cause hearings so that they, you know, there's a term in, in, in the court, uh, in the courts, a fishing expedition. And basically a fishing expedition is when a defense goes and just they want every bit of information that the prosecution has. And even though they're entitled to all of the evidence in discovery, inculpatory, exculpatory evidence, um, when the prosecution gives it over isn't totally defined because I guarantee there's a lot of evidence that the prosecution has not yet submitted uh, to the defense. Now, might the defense find out about some of this evidence that was submitted to the grand jury that was not yet submitted to them? A good possibility exactly what the law is in Idaho, uh, but but it, it, it's a secret process. We don't know uh, what the grand jury was told by the prosecution, who may have testified. All of that remains secret. Uh, likely today, the indictment will be unsealed, though. It won't have a lot of information about exactly what the grand jury heard, um, but it will uh, basically clarify that, yes, he has been indicted by the grand jury. It'll lay out all the murder charges. Um, and then we'll learn about the hearing that, that we have learned um, through uh, Ashley Banfield sourcing uh, that will be on Monday. And Brian, how will this impact the timeline of the trial? I know the trial date had been pushed back. When are we hearing that that would maybe get underway? You know, folks, I spoke about that before. And this, uh, his arraignment on Monday at 0900 hours, 9 a.m., of course, Lata County time there, uh, I guess Idaho would be mid Midwest time, I believe. Um, they will decide based on what he does. If he enters a not guilty plea, uh, then they have to set a date um, for the trial. Now, what the judge will do will uh, ask both sides, the defense and the prosecution, um, and it, look, it also depends on what is the judge's schedule over the summer. Could that preclude the judge uh, setting the date for the summertime? What is the defense's schedule? They have other cases besides this case, believe it or not. Well, probably not many, but uh, could have other plans. So the defense and the prosecution, they would probably come to an agreement of, well, why don't we put this off to September? That I've been saying that all along. That is my prediction. They will not uh, go to trial in the summertime. I believe September could even be put off to the till October or November. It's you know it's not the date is not etched in stone. It's agreed upon between the defense, the prosecutor. Well, actually, if the judge sets a date, basically 
the defense and the prosecution uh, must adhere to that. However, why would the judge be uh, inflexible with the date set for trial, especially in a death penalty case, knowing that any reason could be used for an appeal? So I think the judge will be flexible in regards to the date set for this trial. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, again, that still hasn't been laid out. The, the the feeling is, I mean, this trial could be a, a ways off. I mean, there's still a lot of behind the scenes back and forth as the defense tries to get a lot of discovery in the case, all of the evidence in the case. There is a tremendous amount uh, of evidence in this case, photos and digital evidence and interviews that were conducted uh, that the defense is still trying to get their hands on and go over. So, so the trial is a long way out. Um, what's interesting, though, is, is we had such a focus on this preliminary hearing coming up at the end of June, Marnie. We were expecting to learn a lot more. There were going to be witnesses that testified. You, you remember the story about they were trying to get Bethany Funk. You know, I, I think he what, he, what uh, Brian Enton just said is that, did you see, I mean, th this preliminary hearing was going to be a media frenzy. You could hear how, you know, they were almost salivating over this this preliminary hearing uh, because it would have included Bethany Funk testifying potentially, uh, DM, Dylan Mortensen testifying. Could this not be strategy by the prosecution say, no, they're going to testify at the trial. They're not going to be testifying at the hearing. And to ensure that, I'm going to present this case to a grand jury. And when that indictment comes back, which everyone fully expected there to be, then there will be no need for Dylan Mortensen and, and uh, Ms. Funk to testify. And when they testify, it will be at a trial in the Supreme Court with a great deal of uh, a great deal on the line, the death penalty on the line. So again, um, he didn't want, you know. He didn't want this to go to become the circus that it would become. And the prosecutor, really, this was strategic and he did it. Lula Morocco, thank you so much for the $110 super sticker. Psalm, Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, set up my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Wow. Very powerful. Lou, thank you so much for all your support. Very, very much appreciated. Uh, you know, so the strategy in this case, I think that the prosecution just, the defense was filing all the motions. Now the prosecution just showed that, yeah, we're involved in this case too. And uh, touche, you know. Uh, in to testify, one of the surviving roommates. We were expecting to learn a lot more uh, at that hearing. That was going to be a big development. It was going to be public. Uh, which was a big deal because so much of this all has been secret because of the gag order, that preliminary hearing now does not happen. Um, so what I think is, is this means that, that we're going to, you know, not have a lot of information for a long time as they continue to uh, go over all the evidence behind the scenes. Thank you for watching. Go to newsnationnow.com to find News Nation. Folks, it, very interesting, right? And I think strategically what I said is, is, uh, is definitely true that now look the defense was asking for all kinds of things they were asked they had over 20,000 pieces of evidence now how long do you think it takes to go through 20,000 pieces of evidence 
And surely the probable cause hearing this 20,000 pieces of evidence was going to be brought up also. And they were going to speak to that. Um, digital evidence, cell phone evidence, cell site. They need, the defense needs experts for digital evidence. If they're going to create doubt with digital evidence, they can't have John Q. telephone guy. They need a digital evidence expert to testify about cell sites, to testify about text messages. If there is social media involved in this, if in fact Brian Koberger did have contact with one of these victims prior to uh, prior to this occurrence, that has to be looked at. You know, that has to be an expert. Supposedly, the Madison Mogan or Kaylee Gonsalves, there's reports that uh, there could have been you know, some digital evidence in regards to maybe Instagram or some type of interaction. That has yet to be confirmed because the prosecution has kept all of this secret. Again, the defense, if they're going to uh, create doubt with that type of evidence, they have to have an expert. They just can't pull someone in off the street. Experts cost lots of money. Are they going to have the money to get these experts? Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you like real crime stories from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. And if you want to support us financially, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel membership. We count them five different levels, and we really appreciate our fans, our subscribers, our friends that are on our YouTube channel. And uh, again, we really appreciate them. And again, the perspective of this is just, you know, today I intended to go on and talk about the 20,000 pieces of evidence. And then it came out that, excuse me, my glasses are getting this glare. Sorry to annoy you guys with moving my glasses. Anyway, then it came out that the grand jury indictment occurred. And I thought from a strategic point of view, what a great move that was from Bill Thompson. And folks, I, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but he has two uh, assistant prosecutors on this case. And they're deputy attorney general prosecutors, so they're from the state of Idaho. So very much experience, very much experience with death penalty cases. And it's Jeff uh, Nye and Ingrid Beattie. So the prosecution is prepared for this case. Now, is the defense as prepared? Um, I think they better be, you know, and um, let's see. Some of the D love of God uh, does the dollars the governor added go to the search for evidence? Does defense get, you know, I, I believe that defense, the defense would have to get additional money from the legal aid fund since he has an illegal aid attorney to basically hire investigators, experts to give him an adequate defense because it's always alleged, and there's some truth to it, that the government has, you know, unlimited money. It's not true it's unlimited, but they can exhaust the resources of a private citizen pr pretty easily. So that's one of the reasons that the the, the state, or call, we'll call the government the state, they want to be able to have 
enough money enough money uh to prosecute but yet they don't want to outshine the defense because it could be alleged that um it could be alleged that they're exhausting them and, and the the defense again again you see the difference in in the talent of attorneys when the person being accused is a multimillionaire and then they they have all kinds of money and is that fair no but it's not fair no but life isn't fair you know and um we always point back to the O.J. Simpson case. He had a team of attorneys, Johnny Cochran, uh, Robert Shapiro, um, F. Lee Bailey, names that you recognize as celebrity attorneys. And he had others. He had others. And he had the best investigators that money could buy. And did that also help him beat that case? Yeah, you bet it did. So in, especially in a death penalty uh, death penalty case, do we want any possibility that he could win on appeal or he could beat this case because they they didn't do a proper job? Uh, just think of all the evidence. Think of all the work that's gone into this case. You know, recently. When we, we we had so many talking heads on the, uh, over time uh, on the uh, different television stations talking about behavioral analysis and um, about his his behavior and who he was, who he is, and examining his behavior. Will that come into play in the um, in this case? I believe it will. I believe they probably will bring in behavioral analysts. And we say we saw over the months some of the best and we saw some of the worst, you know, on different TV stations. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm not going to point out who the best and worst are, but this Monday night at 9 o'clock, I have Dr. Joni Johnston coming on, who is a PhD, of course, doctor, forensic psychologist, expert in serial killers, expert in behavioral analysis. She's coming on the show this Monday night. How timely for this, right? This Monday night at 9 p.m., police off the cuff, real crime story. So it should be a, a, an outstanding uh, show this this Monday at 9. This has gotten a lot of views also. The the um, the video of, you know, of Brian Koberger being pulled over a month before the murders occurred. Let's watch a little bit of this just to see what his personality is like. Hello, Officer. I am Officer Loengus. Stops being audio and video recorded. Again, no, I think you know why I stopped you. You ran the red light. What actually happened was I was stuck in the middle of the intersection. Yeah, so I, was I was behind you the whole left. time. Yeah. Yeah. So technically, you're not supposed to enter the intersection at all for that reason because if the light turns red then you're stuck in the intersection and then you're on the red light so that's the reason i stopped you do you have your license on you yeah. you do you have the registration and insurance Just get this for you out. You what? I'm just gonna get this out for you. Okay. 
So can you, would you explain that to me a little bit further? So in Pennsylvania, when you're stuck mm-hmm. like in their intersection, mm-hmm. you have to make the left. So what would what would the appropriate thing for me to have done? Not, just, just you're not supposed to block an intersection like that in Washington. So Do just we, by you blocking the intersection, that's technically a ticketable violation. And then thus, then you're running a red light. So it's another ticketable offense. So you're not supposed to proceed into the intersection until you can go. Because a lot of people do what you just did, right? It's like you're sitting in the intersection yeah. waiting, and then it turns, and then you're blocking. So Yeah, there was a little <laughs> bit of confusion with speeding because someone had stopped. I wasn't sure what they were doing, and then they put on their light to turn. Mm-hmm. So I thought that maybe they were letting me go through. Oh. Did you see that? No. Mm-mm. I feel like right before I made the turn, there was someone who like, made a right. They didn't have their, you know, their signal on, so I wasn't sure. He's got his whole defense set up for the officer, and uh, I find that a little bit, um, you know, well, manipulative, although anyone, I think, that gets pulled over for a traffic infraction, they're going to try to get out of it uh, unless they they see, think there's absolutely no way, but... He's trying to talk his way out of it. Sure, if they were just waiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would just advise yeah. uh, just don't enter the intersection until you can go so you don't get stuck. Um, let's see. But in that situation, the best thing to do then would be back up. And not. I don't know if there's a best thing I to do to... in that situation because you're either going to back up into somebody yeah. or you're going to run a red light. So, Or you're going to be sitting in an intersection. Yeah. There's not really a great option there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just slightly into the crosswalk, so, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, where I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania, we mm-hmm. actually don't have, like, crosswalks. Oh, So even if you're, if you're kind of slightly, they have, there's a little bit more leeway as well. Like, there are a few. First thing I would have said is, uh, <laughs> sir, this is not Pennsylvania. This is not Oz. <laughs> this is Idaho. When you're in Idaho, you do as the Idahoans do, you know? When in Rome, you do as the Romans. This is not Pennsylvania. Lines, like there's one white line and there's another one. Mm-hmm. Front, like there's like a, like a certain yeah. margin from which you can actually kind of put your vehicle, place your vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So I know laws vary state to state, but there is a law yeah. in Washington for blocking an intersection like that. Proceeding through when yeah. it, you don't, um, when you're just stalling. I forget the actual verbiage I can... So that's, it's not all that exciting, so I'm going to pull it off the screen. But you could see he was, uh, again, trying to talk himself out, which is no, uh, it's it's not a negative. Most people try to talk themselves out of a summons. But uh, just for an aside, in New York City, it's called blocking the box. So if you pull into the intersection and traffic gets blocked into from other blocks, gets blocked for several blocks, and you block the traffic going the other way because the light changes. If you get a summons for that, it's it's a red light summons, something called like blocking the box, and it's two points on your license. Besides, I believe it's like about $150 or $250 summons. So uh, he may, you know, people, someone actually said to me last week, Oh, it's not right. He gets a red light summons for that. He It's not blowing a red light. He get, it, was, it wasn't his fault. Well, you don't pull into the intersection when it's backed up. And yeah, you could get caught to no fault of your own, but that's it's the law, you know. So you can uh 
you can argue it, but you know, you look at the families to you too. You know, Steve, uh, Steve Gonsalves, he's been the face of the families, you know, he's on the screen right now. Um, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty sad to see what the families are going through here. Um, and, and, you know, we've been watching this from the very beginning and they didn't of course, like that the, um, that the gag order was put on, you know, and to them, I think they wanted the freedom to speak about this case. However, the gag order precluded them also from speaking about it. Folks, if you're tuning in late, the breaking news was a uh, Latah County grand jury indicted Brian Koberger for four counts of first-degree murder, one count of burglary first-degree. The grand jury is a secret process. So the probable cause hearing that was supposed to take place on June 26th will not be necessary now because he has been indicted and that will take place of the probable cause hearing. So this is a big deal. This allows him this Monday, it's a Monday, 522-23 at 0900 hours. Uh, I, someone just corrected me and said, I think it's mountain time. So it's two hours behind East, East, Eastern Standard Time. So their 0900 would be our 11 a.m., I believe. And um, he's going to be arraigned. And at that arraignment, he either pleads not guilty, he can plead guilty. If he pleads not guilty, which is expected, a trial date will be set by the judge. Um, and again, uh, we mentioned um, numerous times, this is a death penalty case, and that's one of the reasons why um, two death penalty prosecutors from uh, the deputy state attorney generals from the Idaho State Attorney General's office will assist uh, Latah County Prosecutor Bill Thompson in this case. County Magistrate Judge Megan Marshall granted a motion from the state requesting additional help for the county prosecutor. Deputy Attorney Generals Jeff Nye and Ingrid Beatty will now work alongside Prosecutor Bill Thompson as they tackle the high-profile case against Koberger. He faces murder charges and the brutal stabbings of four Idaho college students taking place at an off-campus home in November. The case is still in its early stages as Koberger sits in the Leyta County Jail awaiting his preliminary hearing, which is set for late June. That hearing will determine whether or not Koberger's case will actually go to trial. And when Again, guys, that hearing now is, uh, is all academic. That hearing is not going to happen because a secret proceeding by a Latah County grand jury has uh, returned the true bill, which of course is an indictment of Brian Koberger. He will be arraigned on Monday at 0900. That's in Latah County Court. Whether he'll have to submit a plea. Let's break it down. Terry, the judge issued a gag order in this case, which the Idaho Supreme Court upheld this week. What's the purpose? So this this is old news about the gag order and all of that stuff. But it's 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 interesting that to look at this case and to go back on this case to see all the different um, all the different legal moves that has have been made in this case. And now that may be why the um, prosecutor said the prosecution said, well, you know something. Let me present this case to a grand jury because we're 
20 it was reported yesterday 20,000 items of evidence has been turned over to the defense in regards to this case so think of 20,000 pieces of evidence whether it's digital evidence physical evidence um you know one thing i said earlier and um if dylan mortensen who was one of the roommates downstairs if she can say that and i'm not putting words in her mouth or predicting that she could say this but if she could say that i'm i'm sure or i'm 90% or 100% sure 90% won't won't sell it but if she could say i'm sure that the individual who walked by me that early morning on November 13th is one and the same as the defendant in this case, Brian Koberger. I'm going to ask you guys, how powerful of evidence is that? Ridiculously powerful, right? But I don't know if she can or will say that. But I think it also may have been strategic by Bill Thompson that he didn't want either one of... Uh, of the roommates, Miss Funk or Dylan Mortensen, to have to testify at the preliminary hearings and then have to be dragged back in to the trial. So that could have been one of the reasons that he presented it to a grand jury. And of course, we know grand jury's proceedings are secretive. They don't have to, they, he doesn't even have to tell the defense that a grand jury has been impaneled. The grand jury could have found out right after the indictment came down, and I would think that prosecutor Bill Thompson would have given a heads up to the defense uh, via phone call, uh, let them know that the grand jury has, in fact, returned the true bill and indicted Brian Cobra. I can't, I can't believe that uh, the um, that the defense. Uh, would would find out by by the news. I, I just I just don't uh, think that that would happen that way. So again, I think that uh, this was strategic on behalf of the uh, Lata County prosecutor, Bill Thompson, and I think that it gives him now uh, somehow the advantage of over the defense that he's presented this. Uh, Mary Michael just got it. Foo will watch replace 20,000 pieces of evidence. OMG. Oh, my God. Get out of the coffee pot. I think you missed a lot of important stuff this afternoon. That's okay, Mary Michael. You can just watch it on the rerun. But uh, 20,000 pieces of evidence, some of it can be inculpatory evidence. Some of it can be exculpatory evidence. The, the thing is, is that um, the thing is, is that the um, the prosecution, when they turn all, all of this evidence over, including 9,200 tips. Remember early in this case, they had a tips line open, and they got 9,200 tips. And I said earlier on in the show, when I was in the homicide in Manhattan North, we would have major cases where we'd open up a tips line. And every single one of those tips had to be investigated. So if it was a, a major, major case, sometimes you'd have a hundred detectives and I would sometimes be the one with the tips log and grabbing a detective who may be from a different, a different squad uh, in the city 
and say, officer or detective, excuse me, I want you to go to this address in the Bronx and speak. And I, I got to tell you this story because it was funny. Um, if you don't know New York City, um, the, the uptown precincts, Harlem, 32, the 28, 25, 23, 34, 33, um, 30, the precincts uh, uptown, they have a reputation as being busy, violence, rocking precincts. And we had a case where uh, an NYPD police captain was shot uh, in the 32 precinct in Central Harlem. And we had a tips log, and I was sending out um, detectives on the tips, and you know, we're getting hundreds of tips. So I don't even, I'm, I have my head buried in the tips log. And I said, detective, I didn't even lift my head up. I go, detective, uh, I want you to go to this address in the Bronx. This tip alleges blah, 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 blah. And I lift my head up and the detective has this look of fear, like absolute fear on his face. And I said, what's the matter? He goes, I can't go to the Bronx. He goes, I, he worked at some squad. I'm not going to give up the squad because I don't want to disparage the squad. <clears throat> he worked at some um, squad in Manhattan South that's known to have great restaurants and great places to go. I'll put it that way. And he was terrified of going to the Bronx. And I was like, dude, you're kidding me, right? You're a New York City detective. You're afraid to go to the Bronx? Look at your shield. What does it say? It doesn't say Midtown. It says New York City. So I actually said, I go, forget about it. Go make me a cup of coffee. <laughs> I tell that story. I thought it was funny, but the fear that overcame his face because he was going to the Bronx. And it was like, uh, I just, you know, every once in a while, we needed a little levity. I thought I would tell you guys that story. Uh, Based on details at the scene, we believe this was an isolated, targeted attack on our victims. He's very quiet, um, calculated about what he says. I don't want to see an innocent man, but uh, I feel like he's just scared to look at me in the eyes. If you plead guilty or are found guilty, it is up to death and or imprisonment for life. Do you understand? Yes. <sighs> The man accused of killing Ford University of Idaho students would be back in court next week for a motion to compel discovery hearing. Now, Brian? That is all out the window now, guys. As we know, the breaking news is that he has been indicted by a grand jury. They returned the true bill. The hearing that was scheduled for next week is off. The uh, June 26th, five days of probable cause hearings is off. He's been indicted this Monday. He will appear in court at 0900 hours in Latar County to be arraigned. And Koberger's defense is asking the state to turn over evidence. In response, the state listed all the discovery provided to the defendant, including 10,000 pages of reports, more than 10,000 photos, and approximately 9,200 tips. Now, in the filing, the defense claims certain reports may contain exculpatory information, but the state says in the motion response that the defense has not said what that information is, and if they know about it, the prosecution doesn't know about it, so let us know what it is. Koberger faces four counts of first-degree murder and one count of burglary in the November 2022 stabbing deaths. Steve Gonsalves, the father of victim Kaylee Gonsalves, told ABC News, quote, I can't wait to see the evidence, and then I'm going to bring it. He's going to realize that this is the family that's going to make sure he doesn't get away with it. Several key pieces of evidence in this case surround Koberger's actions after the murders, 
Court TV legal correspondent Julia Janae reports. Handcuffed and dressed in a red jail uniform, Brian Kohlberger, a PhD student, made his first appearance as a defendant in a Pennsylvania courtroom. He was arrested at home with his parents on... Guys, obviously, this is uh, going back to December when he was arrested, actually December 30th. So it's replaying some of this stuff. But the breaking news today, of course, is the grand jury indictment that occurred yesterday. And all of the things that we thought were going to occur are hearing next week, the probable cause hearings on June 26th. It's all academic now. Uh, It's not going to happen. December 30th, wanted for the murders of Madison, Kaylee, Zena, and Ethan, four college students in Moscow, Idaho. I did not imagine the investigation would lead to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania State Police were asked for their help in his capture after Koberger was identified as a suspect. Mr. Koberger was taken into custody without incident. This news of his arrest came as a shock to the small community near the Poconos. This place is known to be like a nice place, like it's a tourist place. It's the Mount Poconos. I mean, to hear this, it's so real for me. To be honest with you, it feels like a dream at this point. Not only is the area better known for its scenic mountain getaways, it's more than 2,500 miles from the crime scene. Brian Koberger waived his right to an extradition hearing inside of this courthouse in front of a judge and a packed courtroom that included his family. That waiver. Again, this guy's this arraignment, this was six months ago. And again, he will be getting rearranged this Monday because of the grand jury indictment on four counts of murder first degree and one count of burglary first degree started the process for his transport back to Idaho to face those four counts of first-degree murder. Having uh, read those documents and the uh, sealed affidavits of probable cause, I definitely believe that one of the main reasons the defendant chose to waive extradition and hurry his return back to Idaho was the need to know what was in those documents. Those documents are expected to reveal some of the evidence against Koberger, including details about a white Hyundai Elantra the police say was in the vicinity of the victim's apartment around the time of the murders. Koberger was driving a similar car when he was pulled over by Indiana police on December 15th. He was with his father on their way from Washington State back to their home in Pennsylvania. Koberger was a graduate student at Washington State University in Pullman, the campus just minutes away from the apartment where the victims were slain. In law enforcement, we understand the best thing we can do for victims and their families is to follow every lead, collect every piece of evidence, and bring those responsible to justice. All right. So, folks, you know, uh, again, uh, if you've been following this case, is something uh, for, for all the followers exciting that there has been a grand jury indictment. Uh, the probable cause hearing that was supposed to occur June 26 is not going to happen. The case is going to move forward. How quickly it will move forward, we can't say. The wheels of justice, as they say, spin very slowly and we don't know uh again almost i say the term ad nauseum ad nauseum but um 
the judge will decide what the date the trial should begin. And that potentially could happen Monday. And we spoke about how we don't think that um, that the case will go forward in the summertime. It very well could be put off till the fall, even as late as October and November. So this just means a lot of the legal finagling. Is that a, is that a New York word, finagle? Uh, the legal finagling will continue, and each side will be, you know, strategically planning their case, you know. So uh, it's a it's a bit, I think it's at least it, it forces something to happen. Folks, if you're looking for a great attorney in the New York City area, then Joe Murray is your man. Joe Murray is a retired NYPD police officer and a fantastic defense attorney. Joe is a huge supporter of police off the cuff, and he's uh, he's he's a fantastic attorney, as I said. You can reach Joe on his cell at 718-514-3855. Email him at joe at jmurray-law.com, or you can get his website at jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray is uh, will be in your corner. You give him a call if you need a defense attorney. So, guys, that's basically um, our show today. I, I, I didn't, you know, I was going to go on and talk about all the evidence. And um, one of the things I wanted to mention, and I mentioned, I've mentioned it before, is if, if his blood evidence is in this crime scene, and that could very well be. We even had the great Barbara Butcher on Duty Run's show, Crime Time with Duty Run, saying that, a murder like this with a knife of four people, she said there's like a 99.9% chance that he cut himself and his blood's in that crime scene. Ed Wallace, the great first degree, uh, detective first degree from the NYPD crime scene that teaches crime scene techniques throughout the world, he said the same thing. So if that blood evidence is in that crime scene, you know, you never say never, you never say it's over because no one ever knows what a jury might do, you know. So again, folks, this Monday night at 9 p.m., forensic psychologist, Dr. Joni Johnston, 9 p.m. on Police Off the Cuff. And I believe Professor Mike Geary is going to join me in interviewing Dr. Joni Johnson. I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. I just sort of I wanted to go on the air when I saw this breaking news. And uh, I want to thank all you guys, all your support, all the channel members, all the Patreon members, Lula Morocco, thank you for your generosity, and all you folks that support Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Have a great day, everyone, and God bless. One episode.